All right, good morning. How is everyone? Great, great to have the youth in the service with us today, right? Good to see everybody. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, if you're worshiping with us, I want to welcome you to Summit Point Church. I'd love to meet you out on the patio after the service if you have a moment. Hey, wasn't that worship great? Amen. Wasn't that awesome? Just getting our heart right uh, before the Lord uh, today. This morning, we're going to be talking about temptation. Temptation. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians and in the book of James this morning. Um, I don't have the verse for you, but you remember the classic passage in 1 John. I'm going to read it for you, actually. John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. I want you to listen to this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. So it's pretty clear, right? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So the, the three big temptations that we face based on the Apostle John, based on God's revealed word to us, are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, so we all battle the same three temptations. You could frame it this way. We battle passion, we battle possession, we battle position. You could say we battle sex, salary, status. We're tempted to feel, have, and be. I thought I was hearing something. Honestly, I was about to call Leah out and be like, Leah, turn off your music, girl. I was like hearing music. I'm like, what is going on? Like, it's my time it's to teach, right? Jonathan's done. Band's done. All right. Anyways, did you guys hear what I said? Maybe I need to start over. Okay. You guys good? During COVID, okay, rabbit trail real quick. During COVID, we would have to come in on Thursday night. And we would have to tape everything, pre-record everything, music, message, because at the time we didn't have live stream. So um, I would be like 15, sometimes like 20 minutes into my sermon, and I would totally goof up, and I'd have to start all over again. It was like, I was there for like three hours on Thursday night just doing my sermon. Um, all right, so where were we at? The big three, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, Right? We battle the same three temptations, passion, possession, position, salary, or sex, salary, status. The temptation to feel, that is the lust of the flesh. The, the temptation to have, that's the lust of the eyes. The temptation to be, right? That's the pride of life. You know, the message that God has clearly given us in the scriptures is, I want you to love people I want you to love people with this radical love, and I want you to hate the value system. I mean, this is what John tells us. Do not love the world, that, that's the world systems, or the things in the world. That doesn't mean the people in the world. That, that just means the, the systems, the, the values, the, the ideologies connected to the world. So John is saying, listen, do not love the world's goods, what the world can offer you, love God. 
So the message is we're, we're called to love people and hate the value system. But the problem is we do the exact opposite. Here's what we do. We hate people. I'm going to step on some toes this morning. We hate people and we love the value system. We, you know, sometimes I hear other Christians, you know, they just, they're, they're just so judgmental and, and harsh and, and negative and mean-spirited towards those people. And you know, those people are the people that don't know Jesus, right? The people that are lost. And, and as believers, we used to be those people, but for the grace of God, amen? I mean, only by, the, by God's grace are, are we changed. Have we received a second chance? So we should, we should love people. We should, we, we should not hate people and, and, and love and be enamored with the value system. But here's the deal. Let's just be honest. We, as, as American Christians, we're so materialistic. I mean, going to Bogota, Colombia for two weeks, I was just like, I just came back thinking, man, we are so materialistic. And it's crept into our lives. It's crept into the life of the church. It's crept into like who we are, the fabric, the DNA of, of, of who we are as believers. And we need to fight that in our lives. We're not living for what's here and now. God's given us eternal life. We're living for something greater, for someone greater. We were created to spend eternity with God, not to be enamored and to admire, you know, all the stuff that we can hoard up, that we can buy. Here's the deal. We, we, we fall into the same trap thinking, if I get that, if I buy this, it will give me joy. It will give me identity. It will give me fulfillment. But it doesn't. It's always lacking. Always lacking. But Christ promises a satisfying life. You know, not only are we materialistic, but we're hedonistic. Man, it's all about our pleasures, sexual pleasures, what we can get out of life. This is so secular. The lust of the flesh is this temptation to, to feel that this is, this is more than just sex. It's more than just sex. It's this temptation to, to, to feel. Um, you know, it, when it comes to sex, it's not how close to the fire can you get. It's how far away from the fire can you get. Are you, are you creating boundaries in your life where you choose God, you choose to honor God and, and not give in to your own fleshly appetite? You know, when you're emotionally drained, you're going to feel like you deserve things. When you're tired, when you're exhausted, when you're emotionally spent, and that might be, you may feel like, hey, I got a free ticket when it comes to porn, or I got a free ticket to drink in excess, right? To, to escape the, 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 the crazy chaos of my life. But that is a lie from the pit of hell. When you think, you know what, I, I've, you know, I've, I've got a ticket, right? I deserve this. No, you don't. When you're tired, you're most vulnerable. Jesus was tempted when? After he fasted for 40 days, the lust of the, the eyes is this temptation to have, this materialism, the pride of life, temptation to be. Three tempta temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they all played out in Jesus' life. Jesus was tempted 
after 40 days of fasting. The lust of the flesh. Satan told Jesus, hey, I want you to turn these stones into bread. What was, what was the problem? Hey, Jesus, I want you to use your ministry gifts to feed yourself. You will not be simply tempted in your weakness, but you will also be tempted in your greatest strength. So beware. Satan He's going to come into your life, and he's going to try to twist and use your greatest strength to cause you to fall away from God. The lust of the eyes. Satan takes Jesus out, and and remember the promise? He says, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Satan was saying, you want glory? You want fame? You want power? You can accomplish that without the cross. You don't need to be abandoned, betrayed, arrested, flogged, murdered, crucified, buried. I can give you a crown without a cross. I can give you a kingdom without a tomb, but you must worship me. See, the problem is it's a worship issue. We worship Satan every time we choose sin rather than obedience. The pride of life. Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and, and tells him to jump off. And, and, you know, Jesus, if you do that, right, you know, everyone will say, wow, that's pretty cool, you know. You, you really are the son of God. But the problem with that is the path to glory is through the cross not showing off. So Jesus faced every major temptation that we face today as human beings. We're going we're gonna to dig into so many passages, but what does Paul say about temptation? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So it's common. What you're facing, I'm facing. What I'm facing, you're facing. It's very common, right? Um, then Paul goes on. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So I want us to talk about what happens before God gives us this way out. Before we need to cash in on God's promise of an escape route. Let me ask you a question. How many of you struggle with temptation? All hands should be raised. Come on now, everyone, right? If your spouse, if their hand is not raised, you need to elbow them right now. Boom. Okay, we all struggle with temptation. I mean, if you've got a pulse, if you're living, you're struggling. Don't act like you're not. You know, it's like, it's like trials. You know, like you're, in the, you're going into a trial, you're in the midst of a trial, or you're coming out. I think it's very similar with temptation. You're about to go into a temptation, you are in a temptation currently, or maybe you're coming out of one. And, and hopefully you're coming out of the temptation with, with victory. We all face the same old temptations. We face the temptation to to be angry, to blow up, to have a short fuse. We we, we battle the the, the sin, the temptation of anxiety. You know, this this world and life could be so crushing, can it not? There is a, a brutal harshness to life. There just is. We live in a broken world. We're broken people Broken people trying to serve God. Broken people trying to love God. Broken people trying to pursue God. It's, it's, it's a battle every day. There's anxiety. There's the temptation of resentment. 
Maybe someone dealt you uh, the wrong card, dealt you, dealt you a good one, and you're you're cultivating a garden of bitterness and resentment, and you go to it every day. And you, you check on and you, you make sure that that bitterness, that resentment is still there and it's healthy in your life. Maybe you're harboring an unforgiving spirit. Maybe you're battling sexual temptation and you just can't figure out a way out. Maybe you're battling laziness or maybe pride. We're all in the same boat. We all struggle with the same serious sins. We're all broken in need of God's help and grace. The important question is, do you know how to win over temptation? Do you know how to say no when every fiber of your sinful being wants to say yes? Have you ever been there? Like the Spirit is saying, Say no, resist, resist, flee, run, trust me, trust God. And then your fleshly nature is like, oh, this is going to be fun. I want to dabble in this. I want some of that. Like that, that seems enjoyable. That seems satisfying. Oh, it is for a moment. Because there's always consequences to sin. You know, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he was the spiritual leader of the early church. And he gives us these, these four principles on how we can overcome temptation. I want you to look at James chapter one, verses 13 to 18. This is what it says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his Creatures. Here's point number one if you're taking notes. Jot this down. Realize that temptation is going to come your way. It's going to come your way. I mean, it's just plain and simple. James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. So you are going to be tempted. Temptation is going to come into your life. Now, if you back up real quick and you look at verse 2, if you have your Bible open, uh, verse 2 of James, it says, count it all joy. We kind of briefly talked about this last week, right? Consider it, count it, like think, regard it all joy. So the problem with trials is our perspective. We're not seeing the, the end result, the, the fruit of the trial, what God can do through the trial in us and through us. So he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So the word trial in verse 2 is the same Greek word that James uses in verse 13 when he uses the word tempted. So context kind of determines the meaning. Temptation is man's oldest problem. It started way back with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You know, Oscar Wilde, I love what he said. He said, I can withstand anything except temptation. All right, there you go. There are two kinds of testings. There's trials and temptations. Temptations, a trial designed by God. Temptation designed by the evil one. Trial causes us, the purpose is to mature us, to grow us, to make us more like Christ. A temptation, it's meant to destroy us. 
to strip us of our, of our joy, to, to, to rob us of our joy. Um, a trial, the purpose is for our good, to learn patience and endurance and steadfastness. A temptation, it's really an inside job. Satan does an inside job. Temptation always begins with like the heart and the mind. And it ultimately spills out into action within our lives. Trials and temptations are going to come our way. They're inevitable, they're inescapable, they're unavoidable. Here's the bad news. You're never gonna grow, you're never gonna outgrow temptation. You're never, you're never gonna outgrow it. It's always gonna come at you, right? It's always gonna be there. The more you mature, I think the more um, spiritual battle is gonna take place in your life. Because here's the deal. If you're not walking with God, Satan's like, hey, you know what? That, that territory's already been conquered. I, I, I've already done my job, inside job. I, my work is pretty much finished there. They're not walking with God. They're not honoring God. They're, they're living a life that's, that's more like the life that I want them to live. But when you pursue God, that's when Satan, he wants to come after you. You know, it's like the young man who asked the old priest, Father, when will I be freed from the lust of the flesh? And the priest replied, I wouldn't trust myself until I've been dead for three days. That's true. It's true. Bad news is you're never going to outgrow temptation. Here's the good news. Temptation, you should write this down. Temptation is not a sin. If, if temptation was a sin, Jesus was tempted, right? That would mean Jesus sinned. But we know that Jesus never sinned because Jesus was God. So temptation is, is not a sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted. I just want you to think about that for a moment. Sometimes, you know, we, 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 we elevate Jesus' deity, right? We, we minimize his humanity. Jesus had dual natures. He was the son of God. He was God wrapped in human flesh. He was fully God, but he was fully man. We, we, we cannot forget about that. Jesus experienced every sort of temptation that you have experienced. So if you ever wonder, man, does God understand what I'm going through? Yes, he does because he's been there. He's walked in your shoes. He understands that that particular specific temptation. And, and guess what? Hebrews tells us that he can sympathize, change the negative into the positive, right? He can sympathize with your weaknesses, right? Um, we, can draw, we can draw near to God with, with confidence, with boldness, right? Knowing that God can help us. He understands what we're facing because he's faced it. And that is a game changer. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is a choice. Now I want you to write this down. This is not a fill in the blank, but write this down. Attraction is not a sin. 
action is. Attraction is not a sin, action is. Let me give you some examples. So, for instance, like lust, for example. It is not the first thought that gets you into trouble, okay? All right, guys, I want you to track with me here. You're on the beach. It's not the first thought that's going to get you into trouble. God has wired us in a way to notice and appreciate beauty. That's not, that's not wrong. It's not wrong to notice, wow, like that's a really good-looking person. Right? She's really pretty or he's really handsome. That's, that's not wrong. The problem is, and here's the fine line, it's the second or the third thought. It's the lingering thoughts that will cause you to eventually sin in your mind and in your heart. When you engage in that temptation, when you lock in on that temptation and you fantasize on those thoughts, that's a sin. When it comes to homosexuality, you know, this is a hot topic issue. I mean, for our culture right now. And let me just, let me just say this, right? So, so one of our core values is extravagant grace. So I want our church to be marked by Jesus. I mean, be marked by Jesus in every way. I, I want our ministry to be marked by him. I want our ministry to be marked by the gospel. I, I, want, I want to hold the tension between truth and love. Some of you are like, oh man, you really going to go there? Yeah, I'm really going there. I want to hold the tension between truth and love. Here's the deal. The Bible is really clear about we are made in the image of God. We are made in his image, in his likeness. God has emotions. God has a personality. You have emotions. You have a personality. right? You were made by God, which means you are worthy, which means you are valuable, which means you are costly. This is how costly you are. God sent his son Jesus, his one and only begotten son, to die for you. That, my friend, is worthy. That's value. You are valuable. You are loved by the, the creator of this universe. So we were made in God's image, and God created gender, male and female. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, marriage is between a man and a woman. The Bible is clear that homosexuality is a sin. Just like there's a lot of other sins that, that people struggle with. Now, do I believe that someone who habitually engages in the lifestyle, can they be a genuine believer? No. Based on the scriptures, right? Paul was writing to the church of Corinth. I mean, this was a church that was completely broken. And Paul was saying, such were some of you. He was referring to like their past life. Before they came to Christ, they were like drunkards and swindlers and idolaters and, and engaging in, in homosexuality. But then he says, but such were some of you. That you were, your past was marked by some of this stuff, but now you have been washed. You have been forgiven. You've been given the spirit of the living God. The, the, the Bible is, is, is so clear on this issue. I don't understand why Christians don't understand. They don't see the, the clearness, the clarity of it. The Bible is so emphatically clear on this issue. 
if you habitually engage in that lifestyle, I mean, the Bible says if you, if you habitually engage in fornication, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. We don't, we don't want to talk about that. You know, we want to talk about homosexuality, but we don't want to talk about fornicating before marriage. Whoa, those two things are not the same. Well, Paul says, if you're a fornicator, if that's like the, the habitual practice of your life, it's going to show that you're not a genuine believer. How, how come it's easy to go on the homosexual path but not the fornication path? Here's the point I'm, I'm trying to make. You might be like, well, we're, okay, well, what's going on here? What, what, are you, what are you doing? Well, I just told you to write something down. Attraction is not a sin. Action is. I genuinely believe. I don't believe. It's a bunch of, I'm going to give you a Greek word for this. It is a bunch of baloney, the Greek word baloney, that, you know, someone can be born with this gene. You know, I'm, I'm born with this gene, and, and, and that's why I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm homosexual. That's never been proven. There's no science that backs that up. But I do believe that there are generational sins that get passed down. I believe that there is, there's, there's a bondage. I mean, there's strongholds. That, that families have to struggle with. I mean, whether it's anger or abuse, uh, um, loss, sexual sin, whatever, whatever it is, alcoholism. Isn't it amazing that you can look at someone and m- maybe they weren't raised by a, a particular parent. They were not raised by a particular parent, but they're living out the same sin that maybe their mom or dad lived out or is currently living out. Like, so if, if you claim to be a believer, then you're, you're going to want to pursue God. You're going to want to honor God. Attraction is, is not a sin. So someone who has these homosexual tendencies and they're, they're struggling, and they're like, the struggle's real, I believe it. I believe the struggle's real. And so then you have to go back to Scripture. Well, what does the Scripture say? Well, God says it's a sin. And and God, the ideal, God's, the purpose of marriage, man, female, male, female, marriage for a lifetime. So you could be attracted to someone. You could be attracted to the same sex. But your identity is in Christ, so you're going to fight that sin for the rest of your life. Just like you're going to fight maybe alcohol or or any sort of uh, abuse, you know, in your family. And let me just make this one comment because none of this is even in my notes. I am like so off my notes. Let me just make this one point here. Someone who engages in homosexual behavior, their greatest sin is not sexual. Their greatest sin is unbelief. Because if they're habitually engaging in that lifestyle, they do not genuinely know Christ. There's a difference between struggling and, okay, sometimes falling into that sin, temptation. It's another thing to say, I don't care what God says. I'm going to reject God. I'm going to re- reject his word on this. I'm going to live my life my way. That is habitual sin. That is engaging in what you want to engage in. All right, so there's a very long example. Attraction is not a sin. Action is, and that applies to all of us. Um, I'm going to have to skip that other example. 
No, I'm not going to skip it. Okay, another example, and I'm hitting all the tough issues this morning. Let's talk about gossip real quick. Here's another practical example. Proverbs says, the words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. So the writer of Proverbs is saying, gossip is like dainty little morsels. They're enjoyable. They're so satisfying, like little candies. The problem is, when you don't guard your ears and close your mouth, that is when the problem's gonna happen. Jesus said the problem lies within. Thoughts move to words and words move to actions. You're not responsible for every thought that comes into your mind. You ever had those moments where a thought just like, just comes like penetrating into your brain and you're thinking, I, I can't believe I just had that thought. Like, you start feeling like really bad about yourself, right? Let me say this. You're not responsible for every thought that comes into your mind. You're responsible for what you do with those thoughts. See, we're human, so we're going we're to have a lot of random crazy thoughts. But what, what do you do with those thoughts? How do you engage um, in those thoughts? Martin Luther, he said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. I like that. That's good, right? You can't control what gets your attention, right, attraction, but you can control what keeps your attention. Temptation is not a sin. It, it's giving in to temptation is a sin. Okay, point number two, we gotta we got move, we gotta fly. Take responsibility for your sin. Take responsibility for your sin. Um, in verse 13, uh, James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, right? Blame shifting, right? For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You ever heard someone blame God for their sin? People like to blame God for their problems, don't they? Here's the deal. We can't blame God for everything. We can't blame God for our sin, for our problems. We can't blame him for our consequences, because James says God tempts no one, he can't be tempted with evil. Why? Because God is holy. Because God is good and God is perfect. You know what it means to be human? To play the blame game. Adam called Eve out. You know, he said, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. He just wasn't being a spiritual leader. He didn't step up to the plate. He didn't lead, right? Ladies, right? I mean, if he would have stepped up to the plate, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today, right? We, we like to shift the blame. We shift the blame on our parents, our spouse, God. Sometimes we come home and we shift the blame on the dog. Okay, maybe not. I don't have a dog. I'm just saying some people shift the blame on the dog. You know, they get angry. They come home. They kick the dog. I don't, I don't. Anyways, some of you are like, I can't believe you just said that. Um, we shift the blame on everyone but ourselves. It's easy to blame our spouse. You know, I'm not happy I'm not fulfilled in this marriage. God wants me to be happy. You're not meeting my needs. God's ultimate end for you is not your happiness, it's your holiness. People play the victim card. Well, I'm, I'm just this way because of my parents. I have this personality, this, these bad habits, these weaknesses because of my parents. I'm a victim. No, you're not a victim. You know what you are? You're a wicked sinner. That's what you are. I'm a wicked sinner. You're a wicked sinner. We're born with a sinful nature. We have a bent towards sin. 
Your problems are are not because of other people. Your problems lie within. James says, don't play the blame game. People like to blame their bad decisions on God. And then when things don't turn out, they blame the consequences on God. Well, here's the deal. I made that decision, but, you know, it's God's fault because I'm I'm going through all this, this tough time. No, you can't pass the buck. Own your sin. Take responsibility. Here's point number three. Understand that temptation is a process. James goes on in verse 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is fully conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Four stages to temptation. Number one, desire. It starts, every temptation starts with a desire. This is what James is saying. But each person is tempted. When, when are we tempted? When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So temptation starts on the inside. The word desire there literally means lust. Um, Say the word lust and people automatically think of sexual desire. But that's not necessarily the the meaning in every context. The word desire or lust can, can mean a strong, passionate longing for something. Um... Longing for power or pleasure or positions, uh, possessions. It can mean a lot of things. Um, and not all desires are bad. I mean, there are a lot of good desires. I mean, think of the desires that God has given to us, right? He's given us the desire to eat, right? Anybody hungry this morning? Right? Anybody getting hungry? I was going to give some examples, but I don't know. Maybe you guys will get too hungry and you'll check out and start thinking about food, right? Um, anybody, I mean, think of another desirable thing. God has given us um, the desire to sleep. Man, anybody like sleep? I love sleep, man. Give me, give me a good night's sleep. I'm ready to go, man. Give me a bad night's sleep. I'm like, I'm out. I'm zonked out, right? Uh, what about the desire to, you know, eat, sleep, drink? Um, the, the gift, the desire of sex within the marriage relationship. If you're engaging in sexual sin outside of marriage, you are in sin. And you need to pursue God. You need to get, get right with God and repent that and get right with the Lord. You know, these are good desires. These are gifts that God has given to us. The problem is when we take these good desires, these good gifts, and we fulfill them in the wrong ways at the wrong times. That is when we're lured and we're enticed. Here's stage number two, deception. Deception. So it starts with a desire and then it moves to deception. Verse 14, when he is lured and enticed. The word lured literally means to be drawn away, to be drawn out. That's what Satan does. He starts with your desire and he knows what your desire is. He knows your weakness. He's not going to play on your strengths. He's going to play on your weaknesses. He doesn't, he doesn't play fair. He, he has an edge on you. He, 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 knows, he knows how to lure you, how to draw you away. And then he entices you. The word entice literally means to, to bait a hook. So Satan, he appeals to our inward desires. He knows what kind of bait to use to cause us 
to stumble. Here's the problem. And I've said it over the years in all my preaching. When it comes to sin and temptation, we see the bait. I get this from James chapter 1. We see the bait, but not the hook. This is how Satan works. He's going to bait that hook. He's going to make that hook look appealing and pretty and and satisfying. That there's not going to be consequences. There's not going to be pain. It's going to be enjoyable. You're going to enjoy this. But Satan, he's the father of all lies. His native tongue is lying. He deceives us. Here's the, the third stage, disobedience. So desire moves to deception. We're being drawn away. We're being enticed, so we're being baited. And then disobedience. Verse 15, James says, Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. So what begins in your mind, this this desire, results in an action. It all starts in your imagination. The battle starts with your thoughts. And it moves from your thoughts into actions. The battle for sin is always in the mind. Donald Grade Marnhouse, he calls it the invisible war. Satan gets your attention. He gets you to have an attitude, then he can get you to commit the action. Desire leads to deception. Deception leads to disobedience. Disobedience leads to death. Write that down. Verse 15, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives or brings forth death. James says sin leads to death. What is death? Well, death is the opposite of living. Pretty simple definition. Everyone's going to face death. The Bible talks about two deaths. The physical death that we're all going to experience, no one is, is going to escape this death. There's going to be a, a separation of your body and your spirit. But then the Bible talks about a, a spiritual death. This spiritual death is not for believers, it's for unbelievers. If you die without Christ, if you die without faith in Christ, being um, connected to Christ, acknowledging that Jesus is your Savior, that he should be, he must be the Lord of your life. What does that mean? He's the master of your life. He's the one calling the shots. He's the one steering the ship. If you die without Christ, you go into a Christless eternity. The Bible is so clear about two eternal destinies, hell and heaven. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. James is talking about sin leading to death. Now Paul is saying the wages of sin is death. What we deserve because of our sin is death. This is spiritual death. Separation of your soul from God. That's spiritual death that every unbeliever is going to face when they die without Christ. But here's So that's the bad news, but here's the good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what we deserve because of our sin and the choices we make is death, eternal separation from God. Death is our ultimate enemy. But Jesus conquered the grave. He removed the sting of death forever. Death no longer has power over a believer. If you're in Christ, you have been given eternal life. Here's point number four. Refocus your thought life. 
How do you battle temptation? Refocus your thought life. Here's, I want you to notice, it's, it's subtle, but I want, you to, I want you to notice the shift here. I, I don't have the verses on your notes, but James moves from talking about these stages of temptation and he shifts gears to the goodness of God. So verses 16 and 17, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If temptation begins with our thoughts, then changing what we think about, changing what we think about is the key to overcoming it. The Word of God says in Philippians, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I like how Paul crafted that. I like the ending. Think about these things. How do we do that? I think Paul is talking about concentrated focusing. That is the key to temptation. Don't resist the temptation Replace it. Focus on God's goodness. Focus on his promises. Focus on his character. Focus on the way of escape. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There is an escape route. There's an exit. God is faithful. He, he gives us an opportunity to, to flee the temptation. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's the goodness of God right there. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I'm going to give you two quick points. I'm going to land the plane. Number one, you are not alone. You are not alone. And you need to know this. We need to know this. We are not alone. You know, we want to make excuses. Well, you know, the temptation was too hard. I couldn't resist it. I didn't have a choice. No one understands what I'm going through. That's not true. Notice the phrase, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So what you're facing is not some foreign, isolated temptation that God just put on you. No, everything is, is very similar. We're, we're battling the same temptations. That there is no temptation that is just unique just to you. That, that no one else is dealing with. We, we all have different temptations we face because we all have different weaknesses and personalities. You're probably dealing with the temptation that someone in this room is dealing with or someone else in your community group is dealing with. As we're gonna be relaunching community groups in the next few weeks, I, I wanna challenge you to be honest and real and and, and authentic about where you're at in your life with your group. Because guess what? We all battle the three same big temptations in our lives. And if you're battling something, someone else in the group is also battling that. You're not alone. You're not alone in, in two ways. Number one, we looked at Hebrews chapter four. Jesus understands because he's walked in your shoes. So that's the big one. You can go to God. You can draw near to God. You can receive mercy and, and grace and, and help 
because Jesus has been there. He, 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 he fought the same temptations you, you're fighting. And number two, other people are struggling too, right? They're, they're trying to avoid the same landmines you're trying to avoid. Here's point number two. God will provide a way out of temptation. I mentioned earlier that the bad news is you're never going to outgrow temptation. The good news is that temptation isn't a sin, but here's the great news. God will always provide a way out. But it comes down to a choice. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is a choice. You can choose to be lured and enticed, to be baited, to be drawn out, to give in to that sin, or you can resist it by replacing it, focusing on God, not sin, focusing on, okay, where's the escape route? Okay, God, you you said you're faithful. You know, I'm looking for a way out here. God knows what you're facing. He's going to provide a way out. God prepares an escape route. I want you to jot this down. God will never allow more on you than in you to bear it up. When it comes to temptations, he's not going to allow more on you than in you to bear it up. You know, the Bible says, greater is he that is within you than he that's within the world. I want you to stop and think about that for a moment. Greater is he that is within you than he that's within the world. What does that mean? The spirit is greater than the evil one. The spirit of God living within you, empowering you to live out the Christian life. The spirit of God can give you the victory and the joy. He can can give you everything that you need to battle sin, to see the faithfulness of God, to see God's goodness, and to choose the escape route. To choose the way out from temptation. Next time we're tempted, we need to realize that it starts with a desire. It starts in the heart, starts in the mind, and we know that it's going to move those four stages. But God is faithful. Isn't that a wonderful promise to know? That God is faithful. God is good. He's going to be there for you. He's going to provide a way out. Sometimes we take the way out. Sometimes we don't. When we don't take the way out, we do what John tells us in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we sin, we run to God and we ask for forgiveness. We repent from that sin and God restores that that, that spiritual, relational intimacy that we need to have with them day by day. Let's pray. Father God, help us, Lord, as we're living out this Christian life day by day. Lord, it's a struggle. It's a real struggle. And Lord, we are, we are tempted to sin and to give in to certain things that are so uh, maybe... Uh, unique to us, whether it's anger or lust or resentment or not choosing forgiveness, maybe gossip. 
Lord, help us to be faithful, Lord. Lord, help us to see the, the baited hook for what it is. And Lord, I pray that we would have a, a greater desire, a greater hunger, a greater love for you than, than we have for this fleeting momentary sin that pops into our life daily. Help us to choose you, God, over sin. Help us to love you more than the satisfying moments that sin can bring into our lives. God, I pray for those that may not know you as their personal Savior. I pray that, Lord God, today that they would open their heart to you. God, you tell us in your word that if we, if we call out, if we cry out to you, if we acknowledge that we're broken and that, that we're a sinner and that we have sinned against you, and if we acknowledge that our sin separates us from you, and if we believe that your son Jesus is the son of God who died on a cross for our sins and was buried but came back to life the third day, and if we trust in your son Jesus, if we, if we receive Jesus as a gift, if we receive his death, his burial, his resurrection by faith, then God, you'll step into our lives and you'll forgive us and you'll change us. And as you tell us in your word, the old will be gone. The old way of living, the old life, all the old habits and sins and will be a new creation, will be a new person. God, I pray that you would speak to someone's heart this morning. Maybe they need to cry out to you and just simply just acknowledge that they're a sinner. They need your grace and they receive your love today. God, may you do that work in someone's heart, someone's life today. May they open their heart to you, receiving you by faith. Receiving you, God, is the greatest treasure of all. Lord, help us to walk with you. Help us to honor you. Help us fight the battle of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. God, I pray that you would give us the victory. Help us, Lord, to live for you. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.